I want to tell you a story, a, a beautiful, beautiful, powerful story, a story of love. It's a true story. It's a story about a frog. And this frog desires, like you and me, to find love, to find companionship. And rather than wait on God's providence, he goes to a fortune teller, and he asks the fortune teller, this frog, he asks the fortune teller, am I going to meet someone, someone who will love me for me, someone who will know me in my inner being? And the fortune teller looks into her crystal ball, and she says, yes, yes, indeed, you are going to meet someone. You are going to meet someone, a girl, and she will take great interest in you. She will want to get to know you to your innermost being. She will want to know you physically. She will want to know everything about you. And the frog, in enthusiasm, says, when and where, where am I going to meet this girl? And the fortune teller says, in her ninth grade biology class. We sometimes like this frog, right? Some of you are just now a little slower on the uptake, right? We, like this frog, sometimes want to look into a crystal ball and say, God, what is it that you have planned for my life? What is it that you're doing, right? And God, in his mercy and in his kindness, only oftentimes reveals bits and pieces as his invisible hand is at work. And we are called to trust that God is faithful that God is kind, that God loves us, and he's got a plan for us. And we looked at in chapter 1 of Ruth last week that God's kindness is often disguised in difficult circumstances, and that's exactly where Naomi and her family found themselves. And if you remember our story, it started with Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and they have two boys, Milan and Kilian. And this family is in Bethlehem in Judah, and there's a famine that comes, and they want to escape the famine, so they choose to go to Moab. And Moab was God's enemies, God's people's enemies. They worshipped other gods. They were not friendly to the Israelites. And so Elimelech, Naomi, and their kids, they go to Moab, to this foreign land, in hope of avoiding the famine and finding food. And it's a sad story because Elimelech dies. Very quickly in our story, Elimelech passes, and then the two boys marry Moabite women, and soon after they get married, they pass. And so what's left in our story is three widows. We have Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And that's where our story left off. And Naomi is very, very bitter and angry at God because she looks at her circumstances. She looks at what God has made visible to her. And she thinks that God is not for her. Surely God's love has ran out. She, in fact, wants to change her name from Naomi, which means pleasant one, to Mara, which means bitter. She says, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt harshly with me. And, and Ruth, Ruth is part of God's plan to reveal his kindness and his purposes for Naomi, but she's blinded by her bitterness, but she hears that God is meeting with his people. It's a Hebrew word that, says, that means to visit, but it means such, so much more than that. God visited his people. It means God is taking care of his people. God had compassion toward his people back in Judah. And so she decides to go back. Orpah stays in Moab, but Ruth accompanies her. Ruth has this all-in commitment, right? I feel like a lot of us struggle with commitment in our culture today. But, but Ruth demonstrates loyalty, commitment. I'm going to go where you go. 
I'm going to lodge where you lodge. I'm going to inherit your people. They'll be my people. And I'm going to worship your God, which is Yahweh, all in commitment. She's this amazing, beautiful woman. And we're going to keep learning more characteristics about her and what a godly example she is for us. And at the end of chapter 1, we get this glimpse of hope in chapter 1, verse 22. It says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This means it was in April or May. And if you know the story, it's a glimpse of hope because it's where the love story begins. Where she is going to meet a redeemer. That God is providentially working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his plans and purposes. He's working to bring about redemption. The main idea this morning is that God's providence reveals his love and kindness to his people. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have a phone, to, to write and take some notes, or, or if you have pen and paper, we have some uh, booklets, some Ruth booklets out there that you can take notes on. Studies have shown you're much more likely to remember something and apply it if you write it down, so really encourage you to write it down. The main idea is God's providence reveals his love and kindness to his people. But I think we need to unpack this word providence, because it's a theological term that doesn't actually occur in Scripture, but it does a brilliant job describing a characteristic of God and what he does. So I read some systematic theology books and some various definitions and kind of put this definition together. Here it is. It's that God, it's God's powerful yet personal governing and preserving over all things that he has created in order that they may accomplish the ends for which they were created. Brownie points for anyone that can memorize that today, right? Really hard to, to put in a sentence and capture the idea of God's providence. So here's a few descriptors that help you. It, it means he's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. He spoke the world, the universe into existence. But don't forget, he's intimately involved with his children. It means he governs and preserves the world. And he makes all things, all events and things happen for his purpose and glory. Nothing catches God off guard. He's using everything to bring about his plans and his purposes, everything. And it's going to reveal his love and kindness to his people. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get that out with me. Ruth chapter 2, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Hey, are we awake this morning, church? Yes. That, that was really sad, y'all. <laughs> We're about to read an active, a living word that can fill us up. Are you awake this morning? Yes. Amen. Amen. In the first service, I started reading chapter 1. I'm like, okay, well, well we got to go to chapter 2 now. All right, verses 1 through 7. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back from, with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. 
Father God, this is your word. You've gifted it to us. You've handed us scripture on a silver platter to soak in, to read, and to be changed by. So God, accomplish exactly your will, your plans and purposes for our scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. At the start of chapter 2, right here, we meet Boaz. Now, Ruth is a popular story, so you've probably heard some of the story of Ruth, and, and I have to confess something. I have to confess that historically when I've thought about Ruth, or sorry, I thought about Boaz in the story of Ruth, I kind of pictured Santa Claus. And I, I don't know why, I just pictured like this guy, he's probably big and strong, but he's a little older, so maybe he got a little pudge in the belly area. You know, like I pictured him as a jolly guy. But when I looked at the meaning of his name, it, it means strength. And so I was like, maybe he doesn't look like St. Nick too much. You know, so I, I just kind of put this, this picture of just a strong guy. Like, like he probably doesn't wear a sweater around his neck, you know. He probably doesn't drink Diet Coke. He probably doesn't drive a Prius or watch Hallmark, right? This is a manly man, right? He, and he's in this position of, of strength. That's what the Hebrew word is, is meaning. And then this idea that he's worthy. The two things that stand out to me in this first part of the text. The first one is Boaz's character, right? His name is strength. And in verse 4, we get to see more. He's a worthy man. And, and we get to see in verse 4 that he, he tells his reapers and his servants, the Lord be with you. Now, my guess is that didn't stand out to most of you, right? But why is such an ordinary, kind of mundane interaction in Scripture? Because it's in there for a reason, right? This is what he says. He says to his servants, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Okay, participation right now. Not rhetorical, real, okay? How many of you get greeted by your boss, the Lord be with you? Anybody? Nobody, right? Pastor Tom doesn't even greet me like that. Right? I don't come into work. The Lord be with you, Brad. Right? <laughs> I would say the Lord be with you too, kind sir. Right? Or, or how many of you, uh, does anyone even work in a cubicle anymore? Raise your hand if you work in a cubicle. Okay, two people. That's great. Okay, do, 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 do you, when your boss come in, does he say the Lord be with you and everyone stands at the cubicle and also with you, right? No. It would be so silly. But, but this is showing us something. That, that in this mundane moment, this ordinary moment, that Boaz is interested in blessing his servants. I think it's showing us that he's a God-saturated man. He's a God-saturated man. And, and this had me thinking, this idea, if you want to see the holiness of a person, look to how they handle the mundane aspects of their life. Right? Like, like if you, like, let's just a case study. If you want to see the holiness of Brad, don't, don't look at me as I'm preaching, right? How, how am I treating my wife? How do I treat my kids when they run into the street? Actually, don't look at me when I do that, right? <laughs> Not my best side, no. But seriously, how do I treat a grocery clerk at Woodman's? How do I interact with people? I don't know about you, but this motivates me to handle simple moments with godliness, with integrity. So that's the first thing that stands out is Boaz's character. The second part that stands out is how Ruth is showing initiative. It says in verse 2, she says, Let me go to the field and glean. She comes to Judah, and she decides to be diligent, that she needs to work. She needs to provide for her and her aging mother-in-law. <clears throat> she could have stayed at home waiting for this, like, spiritual uh, feeling to just come and God's divine voice to say, go here and do this, but she didn't. God was using his invisible hand to direct her, but she's taking action. How many times do, do we sometimes get our Bible out and we just open up and, and point and say, God, tell me what to do next in my life? 
Okay, honestly, who's, who's done that before? Okay, yeah, more of you than that, I think. Okay, right? We want to be guided by this spiritual intervention, and God does do that sometimes. He really does. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay that, but oftentimes, it's not until we are being faithful and obedient that we can then look back and see that God's hand was guiding us. Right? Can you think of a time in your own life when in the moment, you, you didn't see it, but, but after you go through it some, you look back and say, wow, God, I can testify that God was doing something in that moment, that he was faithfully guiding me. So I encourage you, don't, don't just sit on your hands. Be faithful. As you're walking in obedience, God is going to move. He's going to do things. In verse 3, it says, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This is a bit of an irony from our author, right? He's, they're presenting this event as a standpoint that's something that's unknown. But, but we know that Boaz, or she didn't just happen to come to Boaz's field. God and his providence and his plans, he led her to that field. God set up a divine appointment. That's my first point this morning, is the providence of God brings divine appointments. I had a divine appointment on Thursday. Someone knocked at my house at 8.40 p.m. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? You know, my kids are sleeping. And they knocked at my house, and they're trying to sell me something. And uh, they start to talk to me, and I'm like, you're not gonna, I'm not going to buy anything if you wake my kids up. You know, that's what I'm thinking. But um, it, it's a kid's educational program, books and stuff like that. And anyway, I decided I'm going to share the gospel with this guy. I mean, why not, right? He's at my door, and you're going to try to give me something. Let me try to give you something. And I find out he's a brother in Christ, and in fact, he is from Gainesville. If you all know me, I'm, I'm a Gator. I'm a Florida Gator. I, I didn't go there, but, but like, I totally wish I did. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a huge Gator fan, and uh, we used to live there. So we used to live in Gainesville, and that's where he's from. And I got to pray for them and just took this ordinary moment and really saw it as a divine appointment. They testified it was the highlight of their week. <clears throat> the providence of God brings divine appointments. Ruth happened to come to the field of Boaz because God is sovereign, he's gracious and loving, and he brought her to that field, right? Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We read in other Proverbs that, that we should be diligent, we should make plans, but God is ultimately the one who's going to direct us and guide us. So a little mid-sermon application, are you going to be open to a divine appointment that God has for you this very week? That, that a person you happen to come across maybe was actually put there by God for a specific moment that he's going to move in? A moment to, maybe it's to provide for you and, and to give you a relationship opportunity or a person of interest or, or a job. Or maybe it's an opportunity for you to share Jesus in his life and, and what God's done in your life, right? These different opportunities. In fact, if you're here this morning, some of you are here this morning, and it very much so is a divine appointment. God has brought you to Fox Valley Church to sit under the authority of Scripture and worship here. And God has a plan, and He wants to show you His goodness. I, I think it's so interesting that the author continues to talk about Ruth as a Moabite. Like, remember, she's from Moab. He repeats that over and over again, or she repeats it. We don't know the author, right? They repeat it over and over again. Why? I think it's to remind us that she's a foreigner and to foreshadow that God has this extensive love that goes beyond just the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. It's this plan that, that God, he's extended the kingdom. In John 1.12, it says, for those who did receive me, like I've come for them, I have a place for them too. It's this amazing opportunity. God's brought you here for a reason. 
a divine appointment. Now, I want to get to this whole ordeal about uh, some of your translations probably say gleaning among the sheaves, right? I, that's a fun, let's just say that phrase, ready? Gleaning among the sheaves. It almost is like promiscuous or something. I don't know, glean among the sheaves. It sounds kind of funny to me. I, I like it. Well, what does it mean? It's used in the Old Testament, and then Jesus actually refers to it multiple times in the New Testament. Here's the idea. It comes from Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. This is a law that God commanded the Israelites. This is what he says hundreds of years before. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. I love when God adds that at the end, like, and do all this because I am the Lord God. Don't forget that. When there's a law, it stems from a character trait of God. So why, why is God, why is he telling and commanding Israelite farmers to do this? It's because he has a heart and compassion for the vulnerable, for the poor, and, and he wants to help them out. Here's what the law did. Uh, it was essentially a social assistance program for Israel to care for the poor and needy, allowing them to collect food for themselves. In fact, he's like telling the, the farmers, cut corners, don't finish, and if you drop anything on your way out, leave it there. I want other people to do it. It's this generous heart. It essentially commanded the Israelites to be generous. When we think of generosity, we think of like 10%, giving 10% of our tithe, but in the Old Testament, often most people think they gave more like 20 to 30%. There's multiple tithes that they did annually or triannually, and and then they left their, these farmers left their field and left crops out there for people to take. The other thing it did, it's beautiful how God works this out. It, It provided a dignified way for poor to actually make a living and actually work for their food to put on their table. It's a beautiful kindness of God that he's showing. And in, in verse 7, Ruth, she asked permission to gather among the sheaves. And I just think it's so kind of her because I'm sure Naomi told her, hey, by law, you're allowed to do this. Isn't that cool? Like God knew hundreds of years later after this law was done, I'm, my daughter Ruth's going to come along and I'm going to need a field for her to glean in. So, so do this, right? And, and, and Naomi tells her this. I'm sure she tells her this. And Ruth still asked permission. I just found that to be so kind of her. She could have just went and did it, but she asked permission. And, and I just have to, I have to praise my wife in this moment. My wife, Emily, she is so kind. I, I want to give you an example. Our second year of marriage, we lived in Florida. We lived in Gainesville, and we were poor. Has anyone ever been poor? Amen? Yeah. We, we were poor. You know, the bank account, it's down to like a couple hundred dollars. I remember my dad like had a talk with me. Like, son, I'm worried about you. You're going to end up on the street or something. And I remember that conversation, and anyway, I got a job at Domino's Pizza. I, I was, I'd worked at multiple churches, and we were in this season, we were here, and it, it was what it was. I was in seminary, and I'd get a job at Domino's delivering pizza with a bunch of high schoolers who are mean to me, you know what I mean? And um, it was very humbling, and I made hardly any money. And my wife, she didn't make a ton of money either, but she really was the breadwinner. She was the one who made the most money, and here's a glimpse of her kindness to me. When we would go out to dinner, she would let me be the one to hand my card to the waiter. And she, after the the meal was over, she would tell me, thank you. Like, you're the one that's making more of the money. Why are you telling me thank you? But it was this, I'll I'll never forget it. It This gave me an immense 
sense of dignity, that there's worth in what I'm doing and in my position, even in this season, if it doesn't look like financial provision. What kindness. Man, it's beautiful. We see some of Ruth's character traits here. She's courageous. She follows Naomi to Judah. What courage that would have took to leave everything that she knows to go to a different land. She's initiative-taking. She wants to glean the field. She wants to collect food and help provide. And we already talked about how she's kind to even ask permission. And she's hardworking. Earlier in verse 5, Boaz asked about her. One of the fascinating things about Scripture is we don't get tone, right? <clears throat> so we don't know exactly how it's said. Was Boaz just saying, hey, who's this young woman? Whose young woman is this? Or was he saying more like, ooh, whose young woman is this, right? <laughs> we, we don't get tone. But, but as the Scripture keeps going, it's said that Naomi worked from mo early morning until now and only stopped for a short rest. She's hardworking. We're going to keep seeing more of these amazing characteristics that, that come out in Ruth as this divine appointment is happening, now with Boaz, he comes onto the scene in verses 8 through 16. So follow me there, starting with verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz is saying, deliberately drop extra on the ground for Ruth. He's, he's extending his kindness and generosity far beyond the law and what it required. And as I've been thinking, like, God oftentimes brings about, like, his provision and his kindness through others, right? Others, they come in our life to help provide and protect and, and help us on our journey with God. People who are family, people in the church, strangers, but people that God puts in our place that helps us, help on our journey. And Boaz here is put in place by God to provide for Ruth, and he's offering her protection. My second point is God's providence, the providence of God brings provision and protection. Ooh, the kind providence of God brings provision and protection. And, and Boaz is doing so by saying, hey, stay in this field. I've ordered my men not to touch you, right? It's just the bleak reality that women were more vulnerable and, and vulnerable to sexual contact and attack. And he's saying, I've told my men, don't you dare touch her, any physical harm. And he's even saying, go be with the other women. He's like concerned about her relational connectivity. 
and, and drink when you're thirsty, and you can even do the privileged dipping of your bread and the wine and all these different things. And so I, I just wanted to talk right now for a second to the single ladies, right? The single women who are in Fox Valley Church this morning who are here today. God is showing you a beautiful picture of an ideal mate in Boaz, a provider and protector. Now, I know these aren't the leading traits that culture and the world is saying you should look for in a man. And I've already probably just totally tainted your view by talking about Santa Claus earlier in the message, right? <laughs> no one wants Santa as a spouse, I know. But, but Boaz is showing these wonderful traits. He was probably older, right? It's this endearing term that he refers to her as daughter. Don't get, you know, sick and twisted by that. It's an endearing term. But he probably was older. He probably, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how attractive he was. I don't know how hot he was. Is that even the language that the young kids use today? Hot? Or is there a different one? I don't know. I'm getting old, I guess. But I, I don't know how attractive he was. I don't know if he had long flocks of hair. Hair is totally overrated. Amen? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he looked like. But he, was, he would provide and he would protect her. So here's a little word that I, I want you to take, singles, and I want you to put this in your pocket or write it down. The decisions you make before marriage will make the difference in who you marry. And I want to unpack this for a minute. The, the decisions you make before marriage are going to impact or make the difference in who you marry. Ruth's decision to take this step of faith and be devoted to Naomi right, is going to literally pave the way for her to meet Boaz. She probably assumed that she was going to have to stay single, right? And why would an Israelite want to take a Moabite in? We talked more about that last week. She probably assumed she was going to be single, and she is just faithfully, day by day, walking in trust of God, that God's going to protect her, that God's going to provide for her. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to provide for you, that God wants to protect you? In verse 12, I tried to emphasize it when I read it because it's this beautiful picture of coming under the wings of God to take refuge. It's a beautiful picture. Let me read it again. The Lord repay you for what you have done and full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, on whose wings you have come to take refuge. I think, I'm not sure because I didn't look this up, but I think that's the same phrase that Jesus uses when he's mourning over Jerusalem, that he wanted to put his wings around them and they won't let him. It's a beautiful picture of God's provision and his protection. And Boaz is showing such kindness to Ruth. I want that kind of kindness. It would, it would have been enough to just invite her to the meal, but he's letting her fully partake in the meal. It's an amazing demonstration, an ordinary occasion that Boaz turns into an amazing act of kindness. And Ruth, in humility, another trait she shows, meekness and humility. In humility, she bows down because she's struck by Boaz's kindness. I'm a foreigner. Why would you do this to me? Why would you so, show such kindness to me? So men, I want to talk to you. Women care about you being kind. If that's true, women say amen. amen. Women care about you being kind. I looked at this survey. I love numbers and stats and information and stuff. So I, I looked at this survey. It was done by a, a German university, and they polled over 64,000 women about what a woman wants in a partner, what characteristic, what traits. You know what the number one answer was that a woman wants? 
kindness. The number one answer, it came out at about 90 percentile, a woman wants kindness. And then shortly following kindness was supportiveness. And then there was a significant drop to intelligence at number three. But no physical traits were in the top five. In fact, I found this really, really funny, but only 2.5% of women identified about caring to have a man with like muscles, like a big dude, like a muscular man. Only 2.5% women said that that was important to them. So here's, here's my takeaway from the study. Men, women want a kind, moderately intelligent guy with a dad bod, right? (laughs) All that time at the gym, I'm just saying, I don't know, I'm just saying. You're welcome for that, you're welcome. Seriously though, men, I'm committed to be kind. I've told Emily this, my wife, I need to grow in kindness, and so I'm on this journey and I'm trying really, really hard, so commit with me, join me. Seriously, join me in being kind. Ask your wife, how how am I doing showing kindness to you? Just ask her. Have these conversations. And I also thought about this. Isn't what Boaz is demonstrating, what he's showing, what we're supposed to do to the world? Like Boaz is showing such kindness and generosity that Ruth surely is seeing, man, all my Moabite gods that I had back then, they didn't result in any of this. Who, Who was Yahweh? I want to know more about Yahweh, and shouldn't we be salt and light to the world that we're so engaged and involved and loving the community that people are like, wow, I want to find out where they're from, where they're worshiping, and who they're worshiping, because that's the God clearly that I want to follow. That's our job as we tell and show the story of Jesus, right? Ruth is getting a taste of the Lord's kindness and goodness. His, his providential plan for redemption is unfolding. Let's finish the chapter, verse 17 through 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We find out that Boaz isn't just any family connection, family, great distance, second, third cousin. He actually has a very important role. God providentially brought Ruth to this very specific field where it wasn't any relative, it was a kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk about more about this next week, but it's a, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. The Hebrew word here is goel, G-O-E-L. I think it's the first time it's used, but we're going to see it like 20 more times in the next couple chapters. But goel, to say that Boaz was a goel is that he's a very special family representative, a, a Redeemer. And what this idea culturally was in Israel is if a man died, he left behind land, children, a wife, right, they would have been very vulnerable And it was the Redeemer's job to step in to provide and protect them. 
So God, you, you see his providence. Like Naomi is starting to see this. Like, oh my goodness. Maybe she was just blinded. She was fogged in her mind because she was so disappointed and bitter that she didn't know there was this very special guy and God just provided by leading Ruth there. And she's turning around. She's shown much doubt right up to this point, much discouragement. But she actually says, blessed be the name of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness. We're not sure if she's specifying God's kindness or Boaz's kindness, but we know it's God's kindness through Boaz, right? We see that. And so she's a woman who was just saying, God has afflicted me and dealt bitterly with me, so call me Mara. Now she's no longer blind. She sees God's kindness. In fact, she's moving from a place of despair to hope. She's seeing the blessings of God. That's my third point this morning is the providence of God, the kind providence of God brings blessing. It ultimately results in, <clears throat> in blessing. And I want to I give a story because this is, this is my life in a lot of ways, what, what I'm sharing and, and seeing God do these things. Uh, some of you may know I, I was in college and I was pursuing musical theater. I wanted to do Broadway. And my first year out of college, I was very successful and I was on the national tour of Greece, the musical, and I was performing and, and I wanted to keep doing that. But what happened is we were in Albuquerque on the last pit stop and I got sick. And, and we were flying from Albuquerque to Chicago, and then I was catching a flight. I can't remember where I started and where I was going, but between the two airports in Chicago, Midway and O'Hare, I had to connect at one and then switch to the other. So my dad picked me up, and he's driving me to the other airport. And I just tell him, Dad, I'm sick, and I just need to go home, which is so unlike me. I, I just need to go home. And, and I don't think I saw in that moment that God's invisible hand was guiding me. I don't even know how much I attributed to the Holy Spirit it is moving in this direction. Now I can. But in the moment, I'm like, we just got to go home. And I went home with no idea what to do because I was going to New York. I was going to New York, had some auditions lined up, but I w- not anymore. I'm like, God, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, wh- where do I get a job? I'm living at home. Classic millennial, right? Living at home. Well, what, what do I do? And this beautiful opportunity opened up. God and his providence brought me to my parents' church where there was a worship internship available. And within a week or two, I stepped into that. I started doing that. A month later, in a small group at my church, at that church we were at, walks in Emily. And she prays for me. And I'm like blown away, y'all, right? I'm like totally blown away. And, and we start dating. I pursue her with like full force. You know what I mean? And, and we start dating, and then I go, I go to seminary, and, I, and, and God, this plan is unfolding, and I put a ring on it, bam, you know what I mean? Like, we're all in, and God is just doing all this, and now and I've been in ministry for like 12, 13 years, and I'm just seeing God's goodness. I love what I do. I love being in ministry, and, and I didn't see all that. I didn't see Emily. I didn't see Fox Valley or ministry or my beautiful three children. I just saw in that moment, I have no idea what's next. But God and his providence brought this divine appointment for me to do a worship internship, a divine appointment for me to meet Emily, and he brought provision and protection along the way that I didn't deserve, and ultimately, I'm more of a blessed man than anyone deserves to be. That's what God has done in my life. And so, some of you are here today, and you can testify to that. You're like, yeah, Brad, I'm with you. I've sensed the blessing of God. I'm seeing everything in my life that you're talking about. And amen to that. Praise God. But some of you are are in a trial or you're in a season where you're not seeing those things happen. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're looking for a partner. You just long to have someone to, to love you and show kindness and be in a relationship with. Here's my encouragement for you. 
take Ruth's example of daily faithful obedience, even in the mundane, choosing to follow what God is doing, trusting in faith that God is good, that God is kind, he's going to protect, he's going to provide for you. The daily, even mundane tasks, surrender those to God and walk in obedience and watch God provide for you. Watch God provide for you. Or maybe you're in a season where you've lost someone you love, and it's, it's not that easy to just trust God in the mundane tasks. You're, you're broken because you've lost something that's so important to you. I, I want to read a psalm. It's Psalm 86.5. It says, for you, Lord, are good. Man, don't, don't, don't read that and take that for granted. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Call upon God. That's my my best counsel I have. There is no quick way to fix whatever situation that is. Call upon God to come and redeem more than anything that he would, your heart would change, that you would see God's faithfulness in in whatever's happening, that that God loves you and and he's kind and he's he's a consistent God, the same God that was faithful to Israel, the same God that, that has come through promise after promise is intimately involved in the workings of your life. And he cares deeply about what you're going through. God has a plan for your life, and in his providence, he wants to bring about divine appointments and provision, protection and blessing, not because we deserve it. He makes that clear, but because he is faithful, he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and because his love for you is so far that he would redeem you, no matter what you've done and what you've been through. I want to take a moment and, and just allow the Spirit to just speak. We have a couple minutes and so I just want in silence, listen to the Lord. Let him speak directly to you. You're his children. Let your father speak intimately to you right now. Father, just would you speak to us as we sit? Under your authority, God, in your presence, would you speak to us? What do we need to hear, God? Oh, God, we need you here, and we call out to you, God, no no matter what our circumstances are. We're each going through something that we need you, and and we call upon you. Would your loving kindness that you tell us is there, will your loving kindness surround us? Father, would we believe that you are the same God that spoke creation into existence, the universe in existence, the same God that parted the Red Sea so your people could walk straight through and you would collapse on the enemy, that God is the same God that's intimately involved in the workings of our life this morning. God, we know that and trust in your promises. Trust in your provision. God, trust that you are a faithful God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.